Well, today we're, we're in Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2. I, I don't know what, what your experience growing up in church was. I grew up in a very, uh, it's, this is almost an oxymoron, a traditional Pentecostal church. There you go. And what it made it traditional was, is we were very predictable about certain things. Just as we are, we're very predictable at Hope Church. You come and there's things you expect. We're going to have communion at the end of the service. We're going to, I'm going to preach. We're going to have good worship. And you, you expect that. But in our church growing up, one of the things we could always count on was at the end of every sermon, there was going to be an altar call. Can I get a witness? And that altar call was very emotional. It was very long. And God forbid no one responded. It was going to be very long because there's no way that pastor's going home without one person responding. And, and sometimes you respond out of mercy to the pastor. It's like, okay, fine, I'll come, you know. One more time singing, just as I am, come, I'm coming, okay, just to let you off the hook. And, and some have asked, well, why don't, why don't you have altar calls here at, at Hope? Well, used to, we'd always say we had no room for an altar. That was true. But, but honestly, it's a philosophical thing, and I, I want to explain that and then tie it into what we're doing today. It's philosophical because, in my view, as a pastor, as a leader, what I saw was we were creating this crisis mentality Christianity. I only need Jesus when I'm in a crisis. And as soon as I'm out of that crisis, I don't need to respond because, after all, I'm good. But yet, crisis gets me there. And, and it's true. There are times we are. We're in crisis, and we, we need to get there. But it also created a, a mindset that God only speaks to a few people through his word. If four people respond, those are the only four people that mattered that day. The rest, I don't know why you were here, you know? And I believe, and we believe at Hope, that every time you open the Word of God, every time you hear it on the radio, podcast, wherever, can I tell you, that Word of God is for you. And you have a right and a need and a response to respond to God every time you hear the Word. We believe that. We believe that Christianity is not just formed in a crisis. Christianity is a faith that says, I put my trust in God, and over time, he is changing my heart one step after another to become more like him. And we celebrate that at Hope, and we want you to, to engage in that here. But yet, in this message today and in this teaching, you will see that it probably sets itself up for an altar call because we're looking at a man who is in crisis who is crying out to God. And honestly, there are those of you today, you came because you are in a crisis. And I want to encourage you today, cry out to our God, because he is rich in mercy, and he has set you up to receive his grace this morning. I want you to see this as we walk into the story of Jonah. I ask you to turn to chapter 2, but literally we're going to go back to chapter 1, verse 17, just to set it up, because it says this. It says, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. Now, let's review a little bit. It's been two weeks since we jumped into this. Jonah was a prophet of God. He, he was the Billy Graham of his day. You can read about his, his ministry in 2 Kings, the son of Amittai. He was, he was a great vessel in the hands of God. He was, he was one that pronounced judgment and truth across his land. But Jonah, just like all of us, was a human that, that found his identity sometimes stronger than his faith in God. He was a man that found his purpose sometimes got in the way of his obedience, and God asked him to do something he really didn't want to do. How many have ever had God ask you something you don't want to do besides me, right? And Jonah was asked by God to go and preach to a group of people called the Ninevites. Now, most of the ites in the Bible were not good. Israelites, good. A lot of the other ites struggle, and the Ninevites were the worst of the ites. 
In fact, they were known for their cruelty. They were known that they were vicious. In fact, they bragged about it in their literature about how when they conquered cities and stuff, what they would do to their, their, their foe, even down to the children of the foes. They were, they were vicious in every way. And God said to Jonah, go preach to them that I may have mercy on them and they may repent and come to know me. And Jonah did what a lot of us would do, and that is he said, no, thank you. And he ran from God, knowing that God, you can't run from God, but he ran from God, and he boarded a ship on the way to Tarshish. Some believe it's anywhere between 1,500 to 2,000 miles, the opposite direction. He was getting as far away from God as he could, but how many know you can't run from God? He's kind of omnipresent, right? Uh, You know, wherever you are, he's there. And when you're in need, that's a good thing. But when you're in rebellion, it's a scary thing, because he is there. And and he's on this ship going, and, and God sent a storm. How many know that God sometimes sends storms? Okay, let me say it again. How do you mean so that sometimes God sends storms? I know we're Western Christians. I get it. We like every storm. We rebuke you, Satan. Not every storm is from Satan. Sometimes it just might be your merciful God. And he sent a storm. He sent a storm to capture the attention of his prophet because he asked him to do something. When God asks you to do something, he means it. And the storm was so strong that the ship was breaking up and the sailors feared for their lives and they threw their cargo overboard because remember this, whenever you sin, it always does impact other people and and they're caught in this and they begin to cry out to their little G gods, what's wrong, what's happening? And they realize it's Jonah. And they say, who are you? And Jonah says, oh, I'm I'm a prophet of the most high God. I am a servant of Jehovah, but I'm I'm running from him right now. And sorry, guys, but this is all about me. And they're like, well, what are we supposed to do with you? And he's like, well, honestly, you need to pick me up and throw me overboard. And they fall on their knees and like, dear God in heaven, if you're real, please don't kill us for doing this, but we're getting rid of this guy. And they throw him over the board and, and the seas grow calm. Could be a cool ending of the story, couldn't it? Just right there. But yet God was not done with Jonah yet. God was not done with getting the attention of this prophet. God was not done with carrying out his will through this man. And we see God doing something, sending this this fish, literally, to swallow Jonah. Now Jonah's in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And you read this and you're like, God, why would you do that? I mean, do you not think throwing him overboard is going to get his attention? But here's the difficulty. Jonah still was not ready to fully obey God. Jonah still had in him a pride that was, that was still living in rebellion, and, and God was not done getting his attention. Can I tell you, it wasn't meanness that led God to send the fish. It was actually mercy. He could have let him drown there and say, well, that's the end of Jonah. And you know what? We never would have known about his story. But out of God's mercy, he sent this fish to swallow him. Why? Because God will relentlessly pursue everyone he loves, and that includes you. God will relentlessly pursue you to bring you into his will and to know his blessing and his glory. Look, guys, this was not God paying Jonah back for his sin. This was God bringing Jonah back from his sin. And that's a big difference because it happens in us as well. There are times where God is working to get our attention. There are times that God is speaking in that little small voice. But there's other times he's raging in the storm around us saying, I love you too much to let you continue going in the path you're going on. And if it takes this to get your attention, I love you enough to do just that. So Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, I have to say this every time we enter into this story, because some will say, well, I don't think that's possible, so I'm not even listening. This is a fairy tale. Forget about it. Well, 
here's the reality. If you believe in a God that works on this earth and a God who does miracles and a God who, who worked through his own son to do healing and raising people from the dead, a son who spoke the word and we were created, a God who's coming back someday for us, then we, we probably shouldn't get hung up on little fishtail because this is not a fish story, it's a God story. And it's absolutely a miracle. No matter, I've, I've, I've had guys try to scientifically explain this. Well, you know, the acid content was only so much, and the body heat, and, you know, forget about it. Who cares? God swallowed Jonah by a fish, only to spit him out. Think miracle, okay? Number one, he's thrown out in the middle of the sea. There, oh, happens to be a fish right there waiting on him. Who happens to swallow him? And three days later, happens to vomit him out in the exact location God wants him to be right in front of Nineveh. Miracle. Can we all agree with that? Yes. Because you, you don't have to get hung up in this. In fact, in the, in the top ten of the Bible things that I have a hard time believing, this is not one of them. All right? This ranks very low in the miraculous, but it, it's a fish story that is actually a God story. So don't get hung up on that, but let God speak to you through the midst of this. Because what we see here is Jonah doing something that we have to learn to do. In Jonah 2.1, he said this, From the inside the fish, Jonah prayed to his God. Now, I don't know about you, but if I am in a fish that God sent to swallow me, I just might start praying, right? If I'm in a fish and I'm still alive after the first 30 seconds, I will probably start praying to my Lord and my God. And that's what Jonah did. Because what God had told Jonah to do, in fact, what God asked Jonah to do, can I tell you, I don't know that we would have done. It's so easy when you read these stories like, oh, Jonah, you should have obeyed. Think about it. What God was asking Jonah to do was speak to the very enemies of his own people. What God was asking Jonah to do was to go against his own identity. I am a Jewish prophet from Israel. And the Ninevites are our sworn enemy and they would love to kill us, skin us alive, all the horrible things they would do just to show how bad they are. It would be like this. It would be like God speaking to a Jewish a prophet in about 1942 and say I want you to go to Berlin to the headquarters of the SS and I want you to tell them they need to repent or God is going to take them out that's the magnitude of what God was asking of Jonah and so his dilemma was real his, his, his struggle was real and guys our struggles are real you know we always oh well, you just need to obey well, well true but how we know that sometimes it's hard to obey? It's, it's hard to convince this flesh to say, I'm going to do this no matter what. Because here was what was going to happen if Jonah went to Nineveh. He was going to preach that God was bringing judgment. They needed to repent, and one of two things was going to happen. Either the Ninevites were going to reject his message, and they were going to kill Jonah in a horrible way. Or, in Jonah's mind, worse yet, because he says this later, in his mind, worse yet, he would go, preach repentance, and they just might put their faith in the God on high, and they would had become brothers of his, and he'd have to love them and have fellowship with them, and one day celebrate with them in heaven. And he's like, God forbid, let them all go to hell. I mean, he just was caught up. He was in that place that God was speaking into his very identity, and yet his identity was stronger than his trust in God, and he said, no. I won't do this. See, God sometimes speaks toward our identity because our identities become stronger than our faith in God. God, God speaks towards our sense of justice sometimes and says, you know what, I know you feel this way, but here's what I want you to do because I love these people. 
God speaks to us in times where it challenges us at the very core of who we are. And we're just like Jonah, we're put to that place where we're going to say yes to God or we're going to say no to God. Because again, most of us will obey God up to the place where we have to give up the core of who we think we are. Let me give you some examples. God speaks to you in the area of romance and you say, God, that's too personal. It's too important. I I think I know better. God speaks to you about how you are to conduct your marriage and how you're to relate to each other as a spouse. And you're like, oh, I went to the classes. I know better, God. And I have all these great examples. But yet God says there's a way that, that is right to man that leads to death, but there's a right that's way to God. Amen? He speaks to us, and, and, he, and he challenges in areas where we think we've given up to God, but we really haven't. For instance, when he speaks to us, and, and some say no to him when he asks them to trust him with their, with their kids, that they would follow the will of God and not the will of mom and dad. I cannot tell you how many times over the years in ministry I've had, hey, hey, would you speak to my kid? Why? He thinks he's been called to be a preacher. That's stupid. Well, thank you for diminishing everything I am, but uh, (laughs) wouldn't you love this? Would you rather him be a doctor and go to hell because he has no faith in God or a minister and maybe serve somewhere that's difficult but maybe fulfill God's calling in his life. I don't know. You're the parent. We struggle trusting God. Some of us have a hard time trusting God when it comes to the almighty dollar. We, we will not give up our luxury to actually sow into the mission of God. We won't tithe because money becomes our identity and the core of our security. And we say, God, I'll serve you in everything else, but I won't serve you there. When the storms come and the rains fall and the things flood and all that, and we're wondering, well, how, God, you've disappointed me, God. You, you've let me down. No, God says, you never trusted me. We struggle when it gets into the core of our being. We struggle when God begins to speak about how much we work. And we're like, wait a minute, God. A man that won't work, neither should he eat. Yes, but man was not made to work seven days a week. Man was not made to neglect his family. Man was not made to climb a ladder only to find out it's up against the wrong wall. Can I tell you something? It's arrogance, it's idolatry, and God says, you've got to change. But in our core, we're like, no. What we're saying is what we're chasing is greater than you, God. What we're saying is get your hands off my life, God, when God wants to say, Lord, send me anywhere. You see, what we struggle with is what Jonah struggled with, and it's this concept of lordship. Jesus Christ, my Savior, yes, and my Lord. But how many know that lordship is complete? Lordship is, is total. There, there's nothing off limits to God when we surrender our lives to him because then he becomes a source of our identity and our security. We're, we're walking through a freedom group right now on Wednesday nights. Many of you have been in freedom group, but can we tell you one of the keys to that group is this. Your identity is not on who you, what you do. It's not on who you're married to. Your identity is not on your skills. Your identity, once you figure out it is found in Christ, there is incredible freedom right there. There's incredible freedom right there. And God loves you enough to pursue you enough to get you to that place where you surrender and recognize that your identity is truly in him. And that was Jonah's problem. So Jonah begins to cry out to God in Jonah 2, verses 2 through 4. He said this. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. 
From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. And I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. You know, in that, in that prayer, you see a man that's conflicted. You see a man that on one hand believes God has given up on him. God, you've thrown me into the depths. You've hurled me into this storm. Can I tell you something? When our identity is challenged, our struggle is always, are we going to be angry at God or are we going to call out believing he loves us? Because it's so easy to think God has forgotten us. God, I, I'm in a trial right now, so God's abandoned me. My marriage is not going so well. God's abandoned me. My kids are rebellious. God's abandoned me. No, God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will go with you to the ends of the earth, even to the belly of a fish, if that's what it means. God is faithful. But yet everything in us cries out like Jonah says, God, you've forgotten me. Has God forgotten Jonah? Absolutely not. In fact, he's right where God wants him to be. But some of us feel that way. You feel like you're in the heart of the sea. The flood has surrounded you. But don't you hear this morning, God has not forgotten you. What you're walking in, that broken heart right now, what you're walking in, that financial setback, what you're walking in, that job that ended or the, or the health issue that came that you never thought would come. Can I tell you, sometimes, maybe, maybe it was sent by God to get your attention. And it is not an attack from the enemy that you need to rebuke. It's an absolute grace and mercy of God that you need to embrace and say, all right, God, help me. You say, well, how do I know? Can I tell you, our God is not random. Our God will speak to you. Our God will let you know when you're in the middle of the sea and the seaweed's wrapped around your head and you cry out to God, he says, I called you and you answered me. Jonah knew in that moment, not just circumstantially, he goes, this is not random. This is not from the enemy. This is from my God. And he loves me. Why? Because God is relentless in his pursuit of those he loves. And he'll bring you to that point of crisis if that's what it takes to, to arrest your attention. That now you may know him and may serve him. He goes on in verse 5 in his prayer. He says, the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. What a great picture. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. What's happening here? Jonah is starting to do what we need to do when we have said no to God. He is rebounding from his rebellion. He is rebounding from his rebellion. Remember we said two weeks ago, rebellion is simply us being close to God and saying no to him. He is rebounding from his rebellion for God has his attention and now he's taking him on a path of repentance because true repentance always, always begins with certain things. In fact, there's three things I want you to see in the scripture today that you will always find in repentance. There are three things that will lead to that place where we say, God, I'm going my own way, and God gets our attention and say, well, God, I'm going I'm to turn, and I'm going to go your way. But, Father, I can't do that unless you help me, and God is so gracious, amen. He's so faithful. We don't, we don't do anything on our strength of our flesh. If that was the case, only strong-willed people would be followers of Jesus. But many of us are weak, and we say, God, I want to go that way. My flesh wants to go that way. Help me. And that's where his Holy Spirit comes, and we turn and we walk. But can I tell you, repentance always begins through certain things. And the first is what Jonah saw here. You, you will find repentance starting our lives when we recognize that there is a futility of life without God. 
that life is futile unless God is at the center of our lives. Look at Jonah. He's in this place of hopelessness. The weeds like chains are wrapping around his head. The bars like a prison were closing in around him. And that's exactly what it took for Jonah to finally have his foolish pride shattered. I says, Jonah, you're more than an Israelite. Jonah, you're more than a prophet. Jonah, you are my creation, my child. I love you. I made you for this, but you're running from the very thing I made you. God's mercy, he reached out to him. You see, it wasn't, it wasn't a, a prison he put him in. God put him in a place to open his heart up. And that's why it takes a lot sometimes for our own foolish pride to be shattered so that we come to the place where instead of our security being on everything that's going to go away, it's found in God and God alone. It is sad that sometimes it takes an accident for us to recognize life is futile. It's sad that sometimes it takes a disease or it takes a broken relationship or an addiction you can't shake or, or even for some, and I've ministered in them, some even with a prison sentence was the only thing that finally got their attention to say, my God loves you and he's not going to let you go to eternity away from him. He'll do everything in his power because he would that none would perish, but all would come to everlasting life. You see, a lot of times when life falls apart and it seems hopeless around us, it's just to show us that life is futile apart from God. And, and nothing we boast in is, is really valid that can hold us in those times. It's amazing how when you've built your life on so many things and all of a sudden you finally realize they don't sustain you, how deflating that is. And in that fog of it, God is there to show you, I've been with you all along. That you're not about your job. That you're not about your spouse. That your kids are not your identity. That God is your identity. And when they may fail you, he never will fail you. But sometimes it takes the storm to get us there. And, and here's Jonah finally starting to understand that. And quite honestly, I believe there's some of us here that need to understand that. Because God relentlessly pursues those that he loves. Sometimes it's not the storm. Sometimes it's not that dramatic at all. But sometimes our lives, if we would just take a moment to look at them, we would see that we're doing everything except that which God made us for. We are filling our lives with things that are empty and they have nothing to do to sustain us for eternity, but it all comes down to we're not willing to surrender our identity to God and we wonder why life is just the way it is. You see it when you, when you speak in these dead ways, in these dull ways, in these un, unhappy ways. There's just no joy. I'm sorry, but a believer of Jesus Christ, the word says there is a joy unspeakable and full of glory that should be in us at all times, even, even when things go wrong. But yet we live these dullness. So what do we do? We, we bury ourselves in, in our TV. We stream, we watch, we binge. Not because we're addicted to the content, but we're captive to the escape that it gives us. We come home, we spend all the time on the internet, searching for some piece of knowledge nobody else knows, but duh, we're on the internet, somebody knows it, but yet we spend all this time, all this effort, all this why, because we're just not willing to engage in the identity God has in us. It's why people escape into pornography. It's why people slide into certain temptations that are starting to control their lives. Why? Because just like the body, when the body is starving, you'll eat anything. Can I tell you, when your soul is starving, you will partake of anything that makes it feel alive. That's where the affairs come in. That's where the, the binges come in. Look, guys. God relentlessly pursues those he loves. 
And if we take a moment and look at where we are, it's like smoke rising up from a fire. It shows us where the place in our heart is that needs God's touch, that needs God's healing. You see, whatever it is, repentance always begins where we recognize the futility of life and we we come with this note of despair, but we find God's mercy in the midst of it and we recognize his grace. Why? Because the story of Jonah is a story of mercy. The story of our lives is a story of mercy. It is is God's mercy for us to see what he's doing, that we have the opportunity to repent and come to forgiveness. Amen? He said, but you, Lord, my God, have brought my life up from the pits. You see, Jonah felt there was no hope, but God was working all the time. Jonah felt there was no hope, but God was right there working in him. You see, Jonah was not put in the chamber of death. He was put in a hospital for his soul because God cared about him and God pursued him just as he pursues us. And listen, gang, we've got to be so careful. We, we, are, we are so caught up today in things that, that we think it's our identity when our identity should only be found in Christ. And God will relentlessly pursue us and bring us back to him. Look at what he said in verse 7. He said, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Isn't this interesting? Jonah is celebrating God's deliverance while he's still in the belly of the fish. He's not going to get vomited out till verse 10, but he's already celebrating, like, God, you've removed me from the pit. I'm going to rise my prayer to you. And what he was doing was, he was showing what we should know, and that is this, and I want you to see this, there is a greater deliverance than deliverance from circumstances. It's the deliverance from sin. So often our prayers are, God, move me out of this circumstance because I'm angry. God, move me out of this job. I'm disappointed. God, move me out of this relationship. It's not what I thought it was going to be. And yet there's a greater deliverance. It's the deliverance from sin. It says, God, I'm sorry for not trusting you. God, I'm sorry for not being your witness in the midst of this. God, I'm sorry for not reflecting your glory, God. It's been all about me and nothing about you, God. So we see there's a greater deliverance. Listen, it is better to be united with God in the belly of a fish than on dry land without him. The real pit is where anywhere we are that God is not. Look, I'd rather be anywhere with God than the most palatial thing you can imagine on this earth where I'm not walking in his will and not walking in his steps. I've heard it said this way. A friend of mine said this. He said, Jesus plus nothing is what? Talk to me. You can talk today. That's good. What's the other one say? Everything minus Jesus is... Do you believe that? That's, that's a lordship equation. Do we believe that? See, Jonah was experiencing this. He was experiencing the, the pursuit of God. He was experiencing the, the revelation that, Jonah, your identity is caught up in one thing, but this is what I made you to be. That's why in verse 8, Jonah said, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Another version says they forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Now, now, and when you think about this, Jonah is saying those that cling to idols. When I first read that, I'm thinking he's shaking his fist to the Ninevites. They were idolatrous. Those that cling to idols, they're, 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 they're worthless idols and they run from God's love. Maybe he was speaking about the sailors because the sailors had their little idols. And, but honestly, Jonah was talking about himself. That biblical scholars will say this is a revelation of God at this moment for the first time in the word that he took the sin of idolatry and said, guess what, chosen people, it's you. It's not them. We always think of the idolaters as them. He said, no, it's, it's you. We, we, we look at this and they're saying, look, God is applying the sin of adultery to all people, even to Jonah as a prophet. 
Because idolatry was the source of his own sin. Listen, he thought it would be better to hang on to his identity as a Jewish prophet, <laughs> to hold on to things that he loved, than to obey and hold on to God. He valued what he loved. His life, his identity, his racial hatred more than he valued God. And now he realizes that his idolatry is actually keeping him from receiving the fulfillment of the peace and joy that God had because his pride was wrapped up in his idolatry. And that's the second thing about repentance we need to see. Not only does it come from the futility of life without God, repentance really takes place when we recognize the emptiness of our idols. You say, Mike, I don't have idols. You've been to my house. You know, little like gold guys hanging up on the shelf. Come on. You know, I've been there. I've traveled to other countries, and I, I remember freaked out when I was in Quito, Ecuador, and they bring me in. There's all these little chubby little guys up on the shelf, and I'm like, what the heck? His idols and his, what they worship. I've, I've driven through Bangalore, a beautiful city, and there's the temple of the monkey god in the middle. I mean, we think of idols that way, but yet the Bible is very clear that anything we put before God becomes an idol into our lives. Anything we put before God becomes an idol in our lives. You see, all sin ultimately begins in idolatry, all of it. You can trace it all right there. And I know we have trouble seeing that, but I want you to, to recognize this morning, because an idol is simply this. Listen carefully. An idol is something you love more than God, you trust more than God, you crave more than God. An idol is anything you put above him. It's interesting, the goal of every sermon I ever preach is worship, that we would all worship God together. But that word worship really comes from an English word that's worth-ship. In other words, it's saying we, we give honor, we serve that which we think is, more, is valuable. So, so the, it begs the question in our lives then, what is it that's more valuable than God? What is it we can't imagine living without so much so that we build our whole life to pursue it? Because whatever we make worthy, we pursue. Listen, gang, be, be very careful right now. I think in the church in America particularly, we are becoming so idolatrous and we don't even see it. We find our identity in, in things that God never wanted us to find our identity. And for many, our identity is more in politics than it is in God. We will fight you over the fact we're a Republican or a, or a Democrat, but we'll never tell you about Jesus Christ as our Savior. We stand because we are from this country, or our heritage is this country, or I am, I am this type of American, or that type of American, instead of just saying, I am a blood-bought child of God. I believe we're in a season where God is trying to break the Western church away from the idolatry of governments. Our trust is there instead of in Him. Listen, church, we're, we're walking through this. We're in a time of Jonah. God's not sending a whale, but can I tell you something? We've got to look at our idolatry and say, God, where have I put my trust? Because every root of sin comes from idolatry. Paul said in Romans chapter 1 that idolatry is behind the first sin in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve wanted the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil more than they wanted the God who walked with them. Day by day, talk with them. Gave them everything they needed. But there was something they valued more than that, and it became their idol. It led to sin. So we ask ourselves, what is it we want more than God? One Hebrew word for worship is the word kabod or shabbat, which is a, a weight. It's a, it's a weightiness, and, and it leads us to think, what is it we give more weight to than our God? Martin Luther put it this way. It'll be on the screen. To whatever we look for, any good thing, and for refuge in every need, that is what is meant by God. 
To whatever you give your heart and entrust your being, that, I say, is really your God. So what do we look for for good things? Ask yourself, what, what is it you cannot live without? You get stripped of your title. You think your world has come to an end. What is it you can't live without? Your career comes to the end, and, 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 you, and you've been building this up, and you're like somebody, and that day comes, and they, they give you the watch that's going to work for about five years. You don't get a pension. You walk out the door of the box with your goods, and you're thinking, what was that about? But I built my whole life to get there. What is it you're envious of others because they have and you don't have? What is it that, that, that keeps you up at night worrying about losing? What are you bitter about having lost in your life? <laughs> Maybe it's well, the kids have moved away or I'm not as young as I used to be or, or some kind of status and all of a sudden you realize that everything you built your life around is not sustaining. But there's a God in heaven who said you can trust him always. And he'll not only give you purpose and identity, he'll give you meaning and validity. And he loves you so much, he'll pursue you relentlessly until you understand that. You see, idolatry is when you take a good thing and make it a God thing. It's when you take a good thing and you make it the ultimate thing. I mean, think about it. What Martin Luther said a while ago, where, where, where do you go for refuge? So when life gets sideways, where do you go? What do you do? When things aren't working out, it really exposes our idols, doesn't it? Because we're in a place where we're hurting. We don't know what to do. So, so we ask ourselves, what is it that brings us comfort when we need comfort? Where do I turn to when life gets tough? Maybe for you, it's friends. And those friends are awesome until they're not. And they move away or they change or they start having kids. You don't. And you feel abandoned. And now it's like, oh, life stinks. Maybe, we, maybe you seek comfort out of family or, or, or maybe out of the bottle or, or something like that. Maybe, maybe your, your, your source of comfort is shopping. Things get tough, you whip out the plastic. You don't have to get out of your pajamas anymore. I mean, come on. You don't have to drive to the mall and fight the people. You just like get on Amazon.com. Next thing you know, you got a bunch of stuff that's worthless, and now you owe a lot of people for it, and you should be in our Dave Ramsey class on Wednesday nights. Because your God became your things, and they were going to bring you comfort. Maybe it's a boyfriend, a girlfriend. I don't know, I just know this. The things that, 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 that are not bad in themselves, when we make them the ultimate things, we're telling God, no thank you. We make them the ultimate things. We're saying, this is where our identity is. They're good things that become God things. We give our hearts to them, and yet the tragedy is, and Jonah said it very clearly, the tragedy is, when we do that, we forfeit the very grace God has for us. We, we forfeit the very grace God has for us. I, I hate that word, forfeit. Back, back in the earlier days, playing sports and all that, I remember, like, church softball. Anybody play church softball? We probably aren't doing that at Hope anymore. But anyway, church softball, you are too competitive. Uh, I never forget, you know, you need, you, need nine, you need nine people, and you're there at the game, and it's about to start. Oh, please, can they get there? And they get there, and, and seven show up, and you're like, forfeit. And what it means, you lose because you didn't show up. And that's what Jonah was saying. He says, look, the love of God does not cost you anything. You do not earn the love of God. He gives it to us willingly, but you got to show up to receive it. And if you don't and you put all your hope and everything else out, you forfeit the very thing God has for you. There was another prophet named Jeremiah that kind of echoed this. Jeremiah chapter 2, 
verse 13, he, he, he said, look, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. In other words, I will just supply them. I will supply them. I will supply them. He said, instead, they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot even hold water. Here, here's God saying, if I'm everything, I supply everything. And they're like, no, thank you. We'll build our own cisterns, even if they run dry. Because then we can control these things. You see, most of us give our lives in pursuit of things that will leave us or it will leave us scared, bitter, or unsatisfied. We're scared because if we get it now, we've got to hang on to it. We're terrified someone's going to take it away from us. Or if we do get it and it disappoints us, now we're unsatisfied. It, it, all these things we build our lives around, I tell you, can be gone like that. I can't tell you how many business people I've spoken to. They're like, I spent my whole life climbing the ladder only to find out it's against the wrong building. I got to the top and there was nothing there. I climbed the mountain, looked over the top, I'm like, ugh, why did I waste that much time? And God loves us so much, he'll relentlessly pursue us, even if it takes a storm coming, and to get our attention, say, you're going in the wrong path, let me show you what I made you to be, who you are, your identity is in him. Because really, I mean, idols always disappoint. And either we're going to blame the idol, we're going to blame ourselves, blame the world, or, or we just might turn to God. And that's what Jonah's doing here. In verse 9, he says, But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And that's the third thing with repentance. The futility of life gets us there. The, the worthlessness of idols gets us there. But ultimately, repentance is real when we recognize salvation belongs to the Lord. That, that's the message of the whole Bible right there, summed up. Salvation comes from the Lord. It belongs to Him. You know, when you go to work tomorrow, you take your kids to school, or even when you are eating chili after a while and voting anybody except Justin, you're really walking among three types of people. You're either walking among irreligious people that just don't care. That God is not their God. They're not worried about it. They don't believe in anything. They don't need salvation. I'm good because I'm a good person. I like puppies and all that good stuff. Or you're walking among religious people that they believe salvation belongs to them because they're good. I'm a moral person. I'm better than you. I won't say that, and that makes me better than you. Or you walk among gospel, Christ followers, who recognize and understand salvation belongs to the Lord. There's nothing they've done to deserve it. There's nothing they can do to earn it. There's nothing they can do to prove they're worthy of it, but yet God has given it to us. Why? Because he deemed us worthy. Listen, it's what we call grace. It is the undeserved gift given to us by an unobligated giver. God did not have to do what he did, but he did it anyway. Out of his great for love, he sent his son Jesus to our lives. And that grace begins to produce in us what Jonah needed. That grace began to produce in us what Jonah, what God was trying to get into Jonah's heart. In fact, there were three things he was trying to produce, and Jonah got two of them right. He was trying to produce in Jonah, number one, humility. Number two, confidence. And sadly, most people only get one or two of those things. You know, there are a lot of people that want to come to Christ and they have humility. Like, I know I'm messed up. I know I'm a sinner. I know I, know I am worthless, but they have no confidence that God loves them. And that's why we need to share the gospel. Then there's those that are confident, but they have no humility. I know I need to be saved, and you know what? I'm worth it. I'm, I'm quite a catch. If God gives me, man, he's going to be blessed. But there's no humility at all in their lives. 
And Jonah, God got his attention to say, look, Jonah, humble yourself here. I'm the God that created you. I'm the God that called you. I'm the God that made you. And I'm the God that asked you to do something. And I, I was going to bless you through this, Jonah. And, I, and you need to humble yourself, but you also need to have confidence that I am with you. No matter what happens, Jonah, I'm never leaving you. I'm never forsaking you. Listen, guys, we've got to recognize the grace of God comes out of humility and a confidence. I can't do anything for God to love me, but yet he loves me anyway, and I trust that. That's why the gospel is so critical to us. I want you to read this. I, a long time ago came across this i didn't write it that's why it's so good it says the gospel is news of what god has done to reach us it's not advice about what we must do to reach god that's the gospel religion says reach god go for it do your work be 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 steadfast then somehow god looks at me. no he says god did everything and the gospel is the good news of what god has done to reach us and it puts us in this weird paradox. And the second thing, it says this, and that is that the gospel reminds us that we are more flawed and sinful than we ever dared believe. Hi, I'm Mike. I'm a sinner. I really am messed up, but God saved me by his grace. That's my story. I'm sticking with it. But at the same time, I'm more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope at the same time. So on one hand, we see our sinfulness, but we also see the love of God for us. And it leads us into repentance because salvation belongs to the Lord. But there's a third thing that God wanted out of Jonah, and this is where we're going to end it today, and that is this. Unfortunately, Jonah didn't get this. The third thing that should have come out of that grace experience was that a passion would develop in his heart. A passion, a love for God, and a, and a grace and generosity toward others. See, Jonah doesn't get that. He's going to emerge from the belly of the fish. He's going to get spit out, vomited out on the, on the shore. He's going to surrender to God and say, fine, I'll go preach to the Ninevites. But if you knew his heart, he still hated them. He was still bitter toward God. He was religious. He's going to obey because he doesn't want to be sent back to the belly of the fish. That's like, that's like a believer. It's like, well, I'm going to serve Jesus because I don't want to go to hell. That's not a good reason. I'm going to serve Jesus because I want to go to heaven. That, even that's not a good reason. I serve Jesus because he is the king of kings and lord of lords. He's the only one that can save my soul and the only one who has relationship with me through the Father. You see, the picture of most religious people is they know it's stupid to run from God, but in their hearts they never learn to love like God loves. So in one way, salvation for many is just fire insurance. That's why I don't like altar calls. How many don't want to go to hell today? Come today, and give your, get, come today and give your life to Jesus. Well, hello, I'm there. The picture of, of, of religion captures in this place where what we're saying to God is we recognize the stupidity of idolatry. We'll surrender that God, but yet it's got to go to that next place. And that is where a passion develops in us. We recognize the greatness of God's grace. And then that's where it really starts to change us from the inside out. If you really want to look at a, a fruit of your life and understand, am I, am I really identified with God or am I still identifying about things of the world? I think one of the best ways you see that is how you treat and love other people. If you still live with a they, then you've not surrendered your heart to God. You're still defending your identity because I'm not they. And, it's, and it leads nowhere. It doesn't bless God at all. 
You see, when we come to God and we surrender to his lordship, he begins to work in us and through us to now we start loving the things God loves and doing the things God does. And now we start seeing people differently, not because they're different, but because we see them as they're our brothers and sisters in Christ. They are a child born of God, and they have everything to know and need the love of Jesus, and we're supposed to let them know that. You see, God's just not after our obedience. He's after a whole other level of obedience. He's after much more than just that, that obedience because I'm grudgingly saying so. And that's why you have to read Jonah in two different ways. Our first sermon two weeks ago, I said, you've got to read it as I am Jonah. And you've got to deal with that and say, where am I saying no to God? Where am I allowing other things to stand in the way of saying yes to God? That, that's part of it. But there's a second way to read Jonah, and this is what we're going to close with and pray here, and that is this. You need to read the book of Jonah saying, yes, I am Jonah, but you need to read it also by saying, but Jesus is found in Jonah. Jesus is found in the story of Jonah. You see, Jonah was cast out into the sea, and the sea became calm, and he was swallowed by a fish and taken down to the depths of the ocean, and three days later he was brought back to the land of the living. That's Jonah. But Jesus also was cast out into the ocean of God's wrath when he went to the cross. And the tempest of God's anger against sin came against him and, and, and it became calm. He was in the heart of the earth for three days and like Jonah, then he was resurrected. The difference between Jesus and Jonah is very simple. That, that Jonah went through all this involuntarily because of his disobedience, but Jesus voluntarily gave his life up out of love for his father and love for us. Jesus did everything right. Jonah did everything wrong. I mean, think about it. Jonah ran from his enemies. Jesus ran to us. He would that none would perish, but all would come to everlasting life. Jonah was on a mission of revenge. He hated the Ninevites. If I don't tell them, they can't repent. Therefore, they're doomed. But Jesus came on a mission of rescue because he loved us. Jonah was all about his own self-protection, but Jesus poured himself out in self-sacrifice, and that ought to move us to repentance. It ought to move us beyond our idols. It ought to move us to the place of now God has our full attention and he truly is Lord of all. Because you see, when we see this truth, when we recognize ourselves in it, when we, when we look through the, the window of God's word, looking at Jonah, it brings that place where repentance comes because our God is good. Like Paul said, it's out of the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance. God will relentlessly pursue those he loves. And for some of you today, the crisis you're in, the, the, the brokenheartedness you're walking in, the, the upside-downness of the world, whatever you want to call that, you need to stop shaking your fists at Satan and stop being angry at God and take a moment to say, God, what is it that you want me to see? What is it that I've made an idol, God, that, Lord, you love me too much to let me worship that idol? God, what is it that, that, Lord, I'm just not getting? God, what is it that's standing in the way of me fulfilling? God, not, not just my purpose, if I have something to do, but what is standing in the way of that relationship with you that now has me lived out in the relationship with everybody else, God? Because if it's my identity, God, you'll attack it. God, if it's my finance, you'll attack it. If it's my marriage, God, you'll let me struggle. If, you'll, if it's my kids, God, you'll, you hear, God will attack idols. My identity so long ago was wrapped up so much in you who are you i'm the pastor of the church and it becomes such a strong piece of my identity literally god 
allowed that to be taken away from me for three years. The most liberating, painful three years of my life, because when, when your identity is attacked, how many know that hurts? But now every day, I thank God. Because now I can love you and love the community. And my identity is not whether I'm your pastor or not. My identity is I am God's child, made in his image, greatly loved by him. And I'm going to have good days and I'm going to have bad days. And you know what? His love is consistently perfect in all those ways. And it frees me up to love people, even those that are far, far from God. You know what? I'm not angry at sinners anymore. Because after all, a good pastor's angry at sinners. I mean, angry sinners in the hands of an angry God. Come on. No, I'm angry at the sin that keeps you from being in a place where God will show you a love you've never experienced. And I want you to overcome sin. I want you to see God's work in you. So let me ask you this, and we're going to pray. Where are you in this story? Are you, are you running from God? Are you, have you surrendered your life to Him? Have, have, you, have you come to that place where you're willing to say, Enough! I'm done. I'm done running. Are you so caught up in an identity that to let that identity go would be like dying? Or are you willing to say, God, today I am yours. Blood bought, 100%, all in. The choice is ours. Jonah could have avoided a whole lot of mess if he'd have just gone to Nineveh. But like Jonah, a lot of us have chosen not to go to our Ninevehs. And we're caught up in it. And, we, and unfortunately, other people are caught up in it also because our sin always affects others. But we can make a choice today. We can not just sing, I surrender all. We can actually do it. And say, God, you're everything. I need you.